the What's on Reading podcast, brought to you with Atlantic Garden Media. Hello, and welcome to the August edition of the What's on Reading podcast, coming to you once again socially distanced from four corners of Reading, most of which are very, very, very hot, except one of our guests is sitting in an air-conditioned room, she told us, before we... Uh, we came on air, so the rest of us are very, very jealous and not at all angry. But I'm here once again. I'm Damien Passmore, the editor of What's on Reading. I'm here once again with three wonderful guests from across the arts and cultural spectrum within Reading. So with us this month, we have from Rabble Theatre, Toby. Thanks for having me on. From the Oldworth Philharmonic Orchestra, we have Mel. Hello, nice to be here. And from Mad Monkey Improv, we have Alex. Hello. Sorry, there was just an ever so slight delay and it made it sound like one of those old live via satellite interviews you'd get on on Bogan or something. (laughs) Why have I chosen these three guests this month? Well, this month we're all about talking about New Horizons in reaction to sort of everything that's happened over the past few months with with covid and lockdown and theaters closing and museums closing and people not being able to get together to enjoy arts and culture it's all about finding new ways to reach the same audience new audiences and and finding new things to do to carry on doing what our guests do so well toby we're going to start with you for the uninitiated can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about who you are and who rabble is sure sure Sure. So my name's Toby and I'm the artistic director of a professional theatre company in Reading called Rabble Theatre, formerly known as Reading Between the Lines Theatre Company. And we formed in 2012 with the aim of, I say we, Rabble is run by myself and my wife, Danny, who's the executive director. And then we have Emma Lawrence, who's the general manager. It was Danny and I, we set it up with a crowdfunding campaign and with the aim of bringing a professional, what some time is called th- straight uh, straight theatre drama as opposed to musicals or amateur all of which have their place and are you know extremely valuable to society and culture but uh, we just felt that reading was lacking that aspect so we set it up our very first show was a new writing event inside south street and with the support of john john luther who was great and continues to be great with us and we work with him a lot but then we decided to do a, a big show inside reading minster because the other aim of the company has always been to highlight the extraordinary history history of this town and so we staged a play in what we thought was one of the most interesting and beautiful and seldom visited Reading Minster which history goes back to something like the 9th, 9th century BC. We did a show of uh, Twelfth Nights in a fun and exciting packed with music way with lo- uh, lots of our theatre friends who got paid an absolute pittance for doing it and then we've gone on from there and now we've won lots of awards and got lots of nice reviews from national press and yeah our shows attract between you know three and four thousand people per show so we do about three or four shows a year so it's now you know we're in a nice place well we were so about for very much (laughs) (laughs) so there you go there's the potted history of rabble (laughs) so when you are used to doing that many shows a year to that many people and suddenly it's it's like going from well, not from naught to 60, but rather from 60 to naught quite abruptly. What have you been doing to sort of react to that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, initially we were, you know, we were pretty concerned along with everyone else who works in, well, anything really, who works or who's alive. <laughs> we were pretty concerned. The Arts Council announced their amazing emergency COVID-19 funding and we were successful in getting that. We also have two incredible sponsors. We have lots of sponsors normally, but two who managed to sustain their sponsorship, the Head Partnerships list 
Solicitors and Macbeth's insurance in, based in Thiel. And they were able to continue their sponsorship. Obviously, not all of them were because of business or because one of them happens to run a huge festival called Reading Festival. And if you have to cancel your festival, then of course, you are unable to, to sponsor theatre companies. So that's with that support, we're able to work on a number of projects. We're creating a new play in association with BBC Radio Berkshire called Who Killed Alfred Oliver? We wanted to do something that had nothing to do with contagion or disease and that might make people laugh. So it's a true story <laughs> based on uh, events that happened in Reading in the 1920s. So you think not lots of nice 1920s music and 39 steps style humour. Wow. So that's coming out in late September. We've been filming monologues from our history trilogy. We Back in 2016, we created, well, 16, 17, 18, created three plays about Henry I, Matilda the Empress, and Henry II, who all have very strong links to our town. They were father, daughter, grandson. And so we're doing monologues from those plays, which we're releasing as we go along. And that's been lovely. We're doing, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever decided to do. But um, our designer said, well, look, because we were going to be doing a show in the Abbey in June, a new play called The Last Abbot, which is all about the fall of Reading Abbey, Henry VIII's relationship with Reading and all this sort of stuff. And the designer said, well, look, we've got all this time. Why don't we be a bit more ambitious and try to create the actual floor of the chapter house, which is where the most of the action is going to take place. So we said, yeah, great great idea how are we going to do that so well we need three thousand tiles which we're going to make and so we decided to try and do it so we're working well we're currently finding and we we're having quite a lot of luck so far arts groups schools community groups around berkshire who are going to work with us to create 3,000 tiles, which we're then going to tile onto big boards and then lay them on, on staging. So when you enter the, the chapter house in June of next year, which will be our first live show, you'll walk into a hopefully quite a striking place that, that really makes us all feel that we are back in the Abbey. So that's going on. We've had a new website made and we've got a few other things going on as well. And of course, I'm not taking liberties we do our, our podcast with atlantic Guide media and so that going on as well you, you can find that on our website or on all the streaming platforms indeed all the all the same ones that you can find this podcast as well so yes absolutely your, your podcast is wonderful and i do recommend our listeners do subscribe to it if they don't already you mentioned doing the website and it it, it feels like you know some of the stuff that i've been doing on the uh, the what's on website it feels like it if nothing else this has been a good time for those sorts of oh i must get round to it housekeeping jobs <laughs> Um, aren't the most artistically fulfilling for, for organizations such as yourselves, but they're kind of the things that, well, now we've at least got time to focus on this. So it's that, I suppose it's whatever silver lining you can find. Yeah, very much so, very much so. But to, to be fair, it, it, it was such a massive relief and joy to get it done because our old website, it looked okay, but it was extremely difficult to manage from behind and it just it was just a bit clunky, you know. And so to have something that you truly feel represents what you're doing is is a really nice feeling. So yeah, we're absolutely delighted with how that's gone and how our guy Toby French has has done it. So so yeah, there have been in fact there's been a huge number of housekeeping jobs that we've managed to achieve, but that's probably the biggest of the lot. It's a very nice website, I have to say. And, and you're very uh, kind. I know websites. Um, <laughs> so we will <laughs> we'll move nicely on to our next guest. This is Mel from the Oldworth Philharmonic Orchestra. Again, for the uninitiated, who are you and who is the APO? Thanks for the introduction and for inviting me on today. As you say, I'm from the Oldworth Philharmonic Orchestra. 
I'm the assistant music director, um, assistant to Andrew Taylor, who is the music director. Um, the orchestra's been around on the amateur music scene in Reading for quite some years. I think it must be at least 15. I'm afraid I've lost count. The aim is really lovely. It's not just to um, get amateur musicians together to play, but it's mostly to bring classical music to wider audiences. We do some great stuff, which is why I've stuck around in the organisation for so long, like commissioning new music from young composers. And young is anything up to, I think our youngest composer was 12. Not wow. You know it from listening to her compositions, all the way up to recent graduates and young composers trying to make their way in the industry. We've been experimenting with new venues. We've been doing smaller concerts and festivals, including Reading Fringe. We've done concerts in Reading Station on the overhead platforms. And we've been trying to attract new audiences. So only in February, it was our last concert, actually, before this kicked off. We did three performances of The Planets in one day, and the two afternoon performances were specially designed to be more accessible to audiences who'd never normally be able to attend. So children, people with additional needs, people who are hearing impaired. So we had a deaf poet who was signing along to the music. We had special rate seating so that everyone could see. And we relaxed a lot of the rules that people think are there when you go to a classical concert. So we allowed people to move in and out of the space. We had a chill out room for people who found it became all a bit too much. So it's really a great organisation to be part of because as well as making music, which we all love, we're also doing all this other stuff for the community which is really important to our, our members yeah it's it's great i mean i, I you, you mentioned festivals and i i saw you at uh, are you listening festival last year which is uh, you know primarily a sort of a much more of a mainstream sort of indie rock sort of thing when i saw your names on the poster at first i thought this is wonderful um, and it, it's great to have you as not just in the classical orchestra side sitting in your little corner over there, but actually part of the wider Reading music scene. I guess an orchestra is probably one of the last things that is going to be able to get together at the moment. So what have you guys been up to? <laughs> yeah, it's an, it's an excellent point. Obviously, there's been a lot in the news about, about singing and wind instruments, and we're all just, I think, sitting tight, waiting for research to come out. So, I mean, in the meantime, we're a really socially led orchestra so we started off I think in the lockdown doing weekly quizzes and just providing a way of getting people together um, to socialize our members are not just from Reading but actually people travel from all over the UK and some from Europe for our concerts because they're all project based over weekends so it makes it quite good for people to come from distances but that then in the lockdown also means that people are very dispersed. So it's it's been really lovely to get people together socially. It's been quite exciting. Actually, I never thought it'd be possible, but we've been running, just started a series of online rehearsals. So free online workshops where we're exploring orchestral playing. So it's a completely new concept for us. I, I actually love it because one of the things I really enjoy doing, I think Andrew does too, is it's just exploring new ways of, of doing things. And so it's actually been a bit of an adventure working out how on earth you get an orchestra to play online. So even though we're all in separate houses, we have that feeling of being together, even though you know we can't hear each other and we can't actually be in the same room playing. So we've just kicked that off, exploring the last movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. We've just done our first workshop. We ran it twice and it went really well. I had a really good response. 
We're planning our next one is this weekend on Sunday and we rerun each one so that people get an option of days to come to. So that's running again next week. And it's, I also run the Reading Youth Orchestra and our students being teenagers got bored of quizzes very, very quickly. <laughs> so back in June, we decided that we couldn't go any longer being a kind of educational youth orchestra without actually getting them to do something musical. And I must admit, I wasn't convinced it was going to work, but we did manage to get all of our students together on Zoom, which, you know, there are other platforms available, but um, everyone's talking about it, aren't they, Zoom? Managed to get everyone together and not only did all the students turn up and actually quite enjoy playing again, but they even recorded their own virtual track, virtual performance of Pirates of the Caribbean. So they're all incredibly proud of that. And they've now just finished learning their second piece. And we're in the process of recording that over the next couple of weeks. So kind of all interrelated with this online world of, of music. It's really exciting. It's great that you have managed to find those ways to, to continue to play together, even though you can't play together. And it's certainly been a, a running theme over the past few editions of the podcast as uh, our creative industry finding new creative ways to be creative. <laughs> um, I'm going to move on to our next guest, and that is Alex from Mad Monkey Improv. And uh, I guess we'll we'll go with the same way to the uninitiated. Who are you and who are Mad Monkey Improv? Hello, I am an actor, an improviser, and a teacher based in Reading. Mad Monkey Improv formed in 2013, uh, originally in Bracknell, kind of doing shows uh, once a month. And then a couple of years ago, we moved to Reading and we started doing shows every month again. And we performed sort of corporate shows, we've done sort of random festivals. We've kind of performed all over really in London and everything. And our home at the moment was Brewdog before lockdown kicked in. And then during lockdown, we ended up doing online improv shows. So we started doing live streamed improv shows on a Friday night every two weeks uh, on Facebook Live and on YouTube and seeing if we could transfer the live shows to an online format, which seemed to actually work quite well. We found out that some games work even better online. We found new games that work amazingly online. And yeah, it's myself and a team of amazing improvisers perform on a Friday night and all made up, completely made up, down to audience suggestions. And we've done all sorts of weird and wacky scenes, all in the space of my living room, which I'm sure my neighbours have thought is very interesting, <laughs> uh, dancing around and, I mean, playing all kinds of characters and just having so much fun. And we're hoping to be obviously back in Brewdog soon, but sort of on the 28th of August, we've got a very special show. So myself and my uh, improviser called Seamus do a two-man show called The McLean where we create like a 40-minute long-form indie movie. And on Friday the 28th of August, we're going to do a live stream of that with kind of multi-cameras, seeing if that is a feasible way of live streaming a, a show format in a theatre with an audience who is watching online, which is going to be scary because it's our brand new adventure. But I think it'll be, it's going to be quite good fun to do. And if it works, then that's something we can do moving forward until kind of we can get back into a theatre and have people kind of watching and having a drink and eating food and seeing us be silly in the flesh. It must be very weird doing comedy without getting that immediate audience reaction that, to know if, if a joke has worked or if what you're doing is actually funny. It's it's really interesting you saying that some games really work better online, and I, I, I hadn't really thought of it like that. So this multi-camera thing that you're mm. doing, that's um, I take it that's brand new technology for you. Yeah, so we've obviously been doing it via Zoom or any other sort of software is available, but we've been using Zoom. <laughs> been working very well and what we've been doing is we're all in different houses we've got people who are kind of in we've had guests 
from America, from Barcelona, coming in to live stream the show. So it's like a multinational thing. We're used to having it all on camera, all of us in a Zoom call. Whereas this time, it's going to be myself and Seamus live with our friend John, who's going to be on the tech and helping us out. And we're going to be in a physical theatre space, two humans together. And there will be three cameras positioned in three different uh, areas to get different shots, close-ups, wides, whatever it might be, which is going to be a bit new. And our editor, Alex, who's brilliant at it, he's going to be sort of crossing between different camera angles, depending on what's happening in the moment. Um, and it's, uh, it's, I think it's, it's going to be great. It's kind of like National Theatre Live, where you kind of cut to different shots. Um, yeah. And if that works, yeah. then I think it's something that could be feasibly work for any other kind of theatre job or any theatre performance, really, even stand-up comedy. But yeah, it's different because you don't have a live audience. But what we've had is we've had our improvisers have been on with their microphones on, so we can at least hear them laugh. And if we make them laugh, then I think we're kind of we're like, yeah, okay, that's half of that. Yes, they, they say there's nothing harder than to make another comedian laugh. So if, if they're laughing, then you, you're definitely doing your job. I mean, that all sounds very, very exciting. And we look forward to that at the end of the month. It's good that you've actually got an event and a, a performance, because I know that does feel like a lot of the online performances are starting to die down a little bit as buildings are opening up again, pubs and, and restaurants and so on. But obviously, live entertainment isn't. So it, it's good that you are keeping that up, as it were. So lots of new things going on, new technologies, new ways of reaching audiences, a lot of new I guess this is a question for, for each of you to answer. From where you were, from where what was your bread and butter to where you're going and what you can see the future is, how are you feeling about all that? Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling wary? Are you feeling cautious? I mean, I, I could give a massively wildly optimistic answer. I'm feeling all of those things, I suppose. We All of our education stuff continued last term on Zoom and it went very well. But of course, it's not the same as being in person. And I hope that when we return in September, in our venue, we've got a nice big venue. It's the Caversham Centre and there's loads of windows. We can There's loads of space so we can socially distance. We can get loads of fresh air in there. So I'm very, very excited about having people back in the flesh back in September. We're not anticipating doing a live show until June of next year. So in terms of like all the projects we've got on, like they're all going ahead and there's no reason that they won't in terms of like the monologues being shot on camera. We're doing some rehearsed readings, which I haven't mentioned yet, but we're building those up. We're doing the play with BBC Radio Berkshire. Even if we go back into lockdown, Danny and I are married and we'll be in it because we're trained actors. So we can still do our bits and then the other two will be individuals. So we can still carry on with that. And the title projects, well, we've, yeah, that's the one that is, I suppose, a bit in the balance, but yeah, we're, we're still optimistic about that. So overall... I'm feeling very positive about how we've got through this, about the things that we've managed to do. But of course, like everyone else in the world, just aware of what's going on, you know. Yeah, quite quite similar, really. Um, I mean, of course, there's been a huge amount of disappointment and as well as just a general sense of, I suppose, unease or maybe some, some fear through the lockdown. And it's really been difficult as an organisation with over 100 members. We've had a lot of people that have struggled to, to get through so from where we were, obviously, it was a massive shock. But I, I definitely think there's been a, a change in the air lately, a sense of optimism with the research that's coming out, even though we've had to cancel our October concert, sadly. It just doesn't seem feasible to get a big, you know, 80-plus strong orchestra and audience into one room um, as soon as October. I think the online events are just the beginning of, of a pathway that we've now getting a bit more clarity on about next year, how we can get back together, even if we start small, it does feel a lot more like people 
are really positive about getting their instruments back out and being able to involve themselves in something again. Um, we're pretty lucky as well, I think, that at the beginning of the lockdown, our MD, Andrew, had a great idea to fundraise for a concert for when all of the lockdown restrictions have eased, whenever that is, which I'm, I don't know, but I guess might be next year. And the idea being that we're an amateur orchestra, but actually we work really closely with a huge number of professional musicians who have all of a sudden just completely lost their livelihoods overnight, some of whom kind of slipped through the net as well with all of the government support schemes that have been put in place and have been really struggling to make ends meet. So Andrew's idea, which the orchestra have got behind and crowdfunded for, was that we pay them now for a concert that they'll perform whenever this is all over. So I think we're really excited, looking forward to that, especially as the community in Reading have been fantastic really got behind it, raised over £15,000. We've already been able to pay 30 players in advance. We'll have more than 50 playing in the concert. And it's still bringing money in, which is amazing. And any more money that we get is split between the players and the venue. I mean, APO doesn't doesn't take any of it. It's, it's more to support our professional musicians. And as keen musicians ourselves, all of us desperate to hear it to be honest <laughs> having that standard of music in reading is is fantastic that we can do it yeah so i think there's definitely been there's a lot of uncertainty at the beginning and there still is uncertainty because you don't have a definite answer which causes more anxiety of like i don't know where this is going or how long it's going to go for but what we found is actually due to the lockdown due to performing online we've been we've managed to connect with people all over the world do shows with people all over the world, build those connections and gone actually, oh, when you're, when lockdown's finished, come over and do a show with us because we would love to have you. We've, we've sort of made those connections, which I think is really great. Our ability of using online technology to kind of stream a show is definitely advanced. You know, after a few weeks of kind of nooks and crannies going, oh, what, this doesn't work, but this does, we've now got a finely tuned kind of show. This is what works, this is what doesn't work. I cannot wait to get back into the front of a live audience. I think improv comedy definitely needs a live audience thing with any kind of theatrical performance. As great as kind of a live stream show is, I think it's not the same as being there in the moment and experiencing it because a lot of time improv is a once in a lifetime experience. You're not going to experience that again in that moment. So yeah, I'm hopeful, but I don't know what will happen. So there's definitely uncertainty. But if this live stream show goes well, then that's kind of a move forward, getting us closer to live stream, getting closer to live performance, and then even kind of having social distances performances because we're doing it in St. Bart's Theatre, which is, you can spread out the audience quite a lot. You're not going to get loads of people in there, but you can spread it out quite enough. And each time we do a show, we do it for charity. So we do it, we'll, we'll sort of raise money for a local charity. That's kind of exciting. So yeah, nervous, anxious, but also slightly optimistic and hopeful. So uh, a variety of contradictory feelings, which I think everyone is experiencing. Nervous optimism. We'll go with that. Yeah. Um, which seems to be the, uh, or cautious optimism, I suppose, which which seems to be the overarching feeling from all three of you. So that feels like a good point to wrap things up. Thank you very much for, for your time today, especially for those of us who aren't in air-conditioned rooms. Um, <laughs> so thank you very much to Toby. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Damien, for having me on. Thank you to Mel. Uh, thank you. It's been great. And uh, thank you to Alex. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, as always, to Jonathan, our producer. Thank you to you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the What's On Reading podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And we'll be back again next month with, I guess, more cautious optimism. 
The What's On Reading podcast was produced by Atlantic Garden Media.